Similarly to Joel, I hate cutting off the conversation. But I will do it. One time, I don't know why I was listening. Maybe I was trying to see if I had told a story or something, but I was like listening to old. I'm looking directly at you because you were in the story, John. <laughs> and I was like listening to an old sermon, <laughs> and I like <laughs> listening to the podcast. And I'm like trying to get people to d- together, and people I can hear people still jotting. And finally, I went, John Millis, take your seat, please. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, welcome everybody this morning. I um, I like didn't have when I was preparing this week. I like couldn't think of a like a story to tell, which made me I know <laughs> like I was like I have nothing. Like I might as well not speak at all because I just love to share stories, but I couldn't have one, like couldn't think of one. Um, and then yesterday happened, and so I um. I feel like I've talked about like my feelings about those big billboards on the side of the highway that like I don't know they have like scripture or just like something like bl- like in big bold letters yesterday I saw one that said Jesus is the only only with all capital way to God call 834 truth <laughs> and I unlike someone else who shall remain nameless in this room have no intention of ever calling 834 truth uh, but in that moment, I thought, I have something to say about this, <laughs> um, because I think that's, like, untrue, and I think Paul would agree with me, which is pretty rare. I don't always think me and Paul are always on the same page. So um, I was like, I looked at it and was like, no, that's not fully true. Maybe I could call 834 truth. I didn't. I, I will never call one of those. <laughs> uh, but so th- that's the story, just that. I saw this billboard, Jesus, the only way to God, and thought, hmm, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's only part of the truth, okay? Um, we're going to start by praying this morning, and I'm going to pray in the style of someone that I have come to really love and appreciate named Caitlin Curtis. She will often um, pray by beginning, Dear Mystery. Um, she is a Potawatomi woman um, and writes beautifully from her experience as an indigenous person and a Christian Um, And so I'm going to borrow her um, salutation to the Lord this morning. So would you pray with me? Dear Mystery, we're grateful to gather this morning um, in this space, grateful that we have this space to gather when it is cold and raining. I pray that this morning and this week, we are um, maybe not so afraid of mystery. Maybe that we are able to see our questions and our curiosities as acts of love and worship. I pray uh, that when um, we feel a little defeated in those curiosities, that we see that you're pushing us in some new and exciting way. And I pray this in mystery's name. <laughs> Amen. Um, okay. So while I was reading um, and preparing this week, I was thinking about um, how in the past few years, I've become pretty accustomed to using phrases while teaching like Christ within us or 
we are Christ, or um, like something to that nature, which are definitely not phrases that I heard um, when I was beginning my church journey. So they may have been shocking to some people, maybe not to others. I also know I'm really fond of bringing up Dietrich Bonhoeffer's idea (laughs) that Christ is the church in time and space, which I was like reflecting on how that, I learned that in my very first semester of seminary, and I think sometimes our, my journey of preaching in the last several years has been like, whatever I'm learning about in seminary at the time like applies. But I just like, can't let go of that thing that Bonhoeffer said. I just love it so much. Even though I have so many feelings about Bonhoeffer. <laughs> um, and so uh, more recently, I've kind of added to those phrases things like um, considerations about Christ the creation or creation the first Christ. And today, I think we are going to see a passage from Paul that tells us that all of those things are true. And I feel very excited about it. Um, So we are going to explore part of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so if you'd like to turn with me to chapter 1, verse 15, we'll just read through verse 20, and I'm going to read from the NRSV this morning. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. It feels weird to kind of wrap up like with a short passage. I feel like I've had really long passages <laughs> recently. Teeny, but there's a lot there. Okay, I do have a quick, not on, off-topic thing, um, but just something I learned about this passage that I thought was fascinating this week. Um, some historians or commentaries have traditionally thought that this um, short uh, section of scripture was perhaps a well-known poem um, that Paul was just like adding into his letter here. Um, that many people would have known at the time, and he was reminding them, like, hey, you sing this thing all the time, or you say this thing all the time. There's a lot of truth here. It's not just something we say for the sake of saying it. Um, There's actually, like, no evidence to validate that (laughs) that claim or idea that that's the case, but I really thought that was a cool idea because there's something about how that is what we do every week. Like, this, like, text and um, book just kind of lives everywhere and sometimes we don't actually think like oh like we should maybe pay a little more attention but i also thought wouldn't it be cool if we one day did something like that with like sunday school songs like these like like this little light of mine (laughs) has a lot more meaning and weight to it than just like it being cute that little kids sing it you know i thought that would be fun one day okay back to the actual passage So I want to pay very close attention to the first sentence because it's very intentional the way that Paul writes it, and it gives gravity, I think, to the rest of the text. 
It starts in verse 15 with, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And right from the beginning, Paul is choosing his words wisely. The word image in this sentence comes from the Greek icon. And while image is an accurate translation, there are other Greek words that could have been used here, more commonly used words, to just mean looks like. There's a a recognition that this word, icon, holds a little more weight to just looks like or mirror or or image. Other um, folks think that maybe the word manifestation is probably more appropriate. So this phrase would be a way for Paul to confirm that Christ is God. Not just Christ looks like God, but kind of leaning into that weird, like mysterious element of Christ is God in a new being. Paul also describes God as invisible, a word that didn't just mean unseen, but unknowable, inaccessible. That it's because of Christ we have access to God. So that billboard was missing just a tiny little um, piece of information. (laughs) He goes on to say in this verse that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, a direct challenge to this idea that Christ only existed in Jesus. There were certainly people alive before Jesus (laughs) and other beings that had been created. And while it's Jesus that we know Christ in this moment, Paul is saying, Christ has been here the whole time. Nothing was created before Christ. He elaborates in the next verse that all things were created through and for Christ, and then all things things are held together by Christ. And I think it's okay to pause and recognize in this moment that none of this makes sense. (laughs) Like, none of it, right? Like, it's passages like these that like, have to ground us to the mystery in our faith. There's not a single logical thing that has happened so far. And I sometimes wonder if someone would have read this message from Paul and been like, wait a minute. You're telling me that Christ, who is Jesus, was also here when things were created. Jesus looked pretty young to me. Like That can't possibly be the case. Maybe Paul's been drinking too much wine. But that's the case. That's the truth of the matter. And a part of our journey is getting to this part, getting to this mystery and saying, I'm in. And then figuring out what that means after. (laughs) To just perhaps make it even more complex, Paul continues to tell us that Christ is the head of the church and that his death and resurrection were were more examples of Christ leading us That when Christ died on the cross, God was reconciled to all things. Something that can be understood whether our theologies consider the cross murder or sacrifice. When Jesus died, the peace of Christ was reconciled to everything created. The land, the sea, the animals, the people, everything. We spend a lot of time talking about what that means for us now and that is important obviously like I think that might be the hardest part sometimes of this journey it certainly is for me um, and maybe it's the case for others too to know 
and accept that I bear Christ, that I belong in this story just because I am. So we'll probably keep talking about that too. Um, But I think we've been spending a lot of time in this series to try and get to this part too. That in the same way that we are Christ, so is the rest of creation. And that means something. I'm pretty sure I, um, I have used this phrase before. There's a Lakota phrase, mitakieo um, yasen. It means we're all related. We, the people in this room, we, the people in this neighborhood, <laughs> the neighborhoods next to us, but also the canal across the street, in the shade tree, in the courtyard, in the breeze that cools our skin on a hot day. They are beloved in the same way that we are. And just as we do work to figure out what it means that our belovedness is, how that shapes the way we move through the world, our siblings in Christ respond to their belovedness as well. We know that when we accept our belonging in this story as members of the kingdom, we begin to do the good work of sharing with others their belovedness. We find our gifts, we use them, we fulfill them for goodness for all. And our relatives have always done the same thing. And I thought of the first few pages of Braiding Sweetgrass, a book that many of us have been reading, when I was considering this. And so I'm going to read about a half-page section for you all. Robin Wall Kimmerer says, The pecan groves give and give again. Such communal generosity might seem incompatible with the process of evolution, which invokes the imperative of individual survival. But we make a grave error if we try to separate individual well-being from the health of the whole. The gift of abundance from pecans is also a gift to themselves. By satiating squirrels and people, the trees are ensuring their own survival. The genes that translate to mass fruiting flow on evolutionary currents into the next generation, while those that lack the ability to participate will be eaten and reach an evolutionary dead end. Just so, people who know how to read the land for nuts and carry them home to safety will survive the February blizzards and pass on that behavior to their progeny, not by genetic transmission, but by cultural practice. Forest scientists describe the generosity of mass fruiting with the predator satiation hypothesis. The story seems to go like this. When the trees produce more than the squirrels can eat, some nuts escape predation. Likewise, when the squirrel larders are packed with nuts, the plump pregnant mamas have more babies in each litter, and the squirrel population skyrockets, which means that the hawk mamas have more babies and fox dens are full too, but when the next fall comes, the happy days are over because the trees have shut off nut production. There's little to fill the squirrel's larders now. They come home empty-handed, so they go out looking harder and harder, exposing themselves to the increased population of watchful hawks and hungry foxes. The predator-prey ratio is not in their favor, and through starvation and predation, the squirrel population plummets, and the woods grow quiet without their chattering. You can imagine the trees whispering to each other at this point. There are just a few squirrels left. Wouldn't this be a good time to make some nuts? 
all across the landscape. Out come the pecan flowers, poised to become a bumper crop again. Together, the trees survive and thrive. The trees have known that giving, gifting, is essential to their own survival and flourishing, and essential to building the kingdom around them. We do so much work <laughs> to figure out what the kingdom of God looks like, what it means to be Christ, and there has been illustrations of that around us <laughs> all along. That giving, gifting, listening to what our relatives need and providing will lead to our own flourishing in the kingdom. When we understand that Christ is and always has been, or and has always been, and these elements of love and kinship have always been Christ present, it puts us in a position to consider Jesus in a new way. Jesus isn't just teaching us these things, how to love our siblings. We have always had teachers to do that, like the pecan trees. It sets us up to look at Jesus and see what new things we are learning about Christ through him. And we're going to dive into that in our next series, <laughs> that since Christ is in all things, as Paul tells us, one thing we could learn from Christ and Jesus is how we might understand the part of Christ that shows up in a particular time and place. So tune in starting next week. Um, for now, follow the invitation this week to marvel at the fullness of God in Christ and everything around you. This week, work to be present with your siblings in Christ wherever you are. Begin to notice things that you might not have before. Be curious about the ways it challenges you to share your belovedness with the rain, which I don't love <laughs> and I know will be my particular challenge in the next few hours. But consider, alongside me hopefully, what you might learn about Christ and about God when present with them surrounded by creation. Amen. If you would like to scroll down or look down at your bulletin, we'll go ahead and move into the Lord's Table Liturgy. If you're new, our communion elements are these cute little cuppies at the front. We come to this table to remember Jesus and the path toward wholeness he leads us down. His life reminds us that this path is forged through radical love for all. His death shows us that it does not ignore pain and suffering, but offers solidarity in their midst. His resurrection reminds us that it is a hope-filled path we walk. The table of the Lord is open for all who seek to experience love, life, and hope.